Welcome to the Calvary Church Podcast. We're glad that you are here and that you can be a part of a recent service at TCC. So let's join the service, which is already underway, and listen to the message. In the 1740s, John Wade, at the age of 35, was tasked with researching and identifying historical church music. He would identify it and then carefully record and preserve it for generations. This was what he was asked to do. John Wade took this job very seriously, leaving no stone unturned in his effort to save anything of historical or spiritual value. A calligrapher by training as well as a skilled musician, Wade saved not only historical church songs, but he then organized and distributed them to churches throughout Europe. Through beautifully detailed drawings and manuscripts, Wade sought to preserve songs. While he was reclaiming these old pieces, John Wade also was inspired to write new hymns. As a Catholic cleric, It was only natural that he compose his new works in Latin. And so in or around 1745, Wade put the finishing touches on what would become his most famous tune, Adeste Fidelis. He published it in his own book the next year. A decade later, he completed and put lyrics to his melody. Ironically... John Wade, who had preserved church music for others, somehow lost the acknowledgement of his own music. Even though Deste Fidelis was published at least two different times with John Wade credited as being the composer and credited for writing the song, his authorship would come to be lost by the next century. So in 1841, when Frederick Oakley translated Wade's song from Latin to English, the credit to Wade was left out. Time and again, Wade was forgotten. Others were given credit for having written this beloved song. In America, as in most of the world, many Christian churches adopted the song to their Christmas songbook. And so by 1900, this song was a predominant Christmas song. It was also one of the focal points of the caroling movement that swept the country. Mobile choirs would go from house to house singing songs of the Christmas season, and it always included John Wade's song. More often than not, each performance closed with the mighty Chorus. During the 1905 Christmas season, the greatest American vocal group of the period, called the Peerless Quartet, who maybe you've heard of them, probably not, they recorded such hits as By the Light of the Silvery Moon, later recorded by Doris Day. They recorded, recorded and released this carol At a time when radio had yet to introduce music to the masses, thousands of copies of this Christmas single were sold. The single hit even hit number seven on the national hit parade. 
the only Christmas recording among the more than 100 peerless quartet hit songs that became the group's signature holiday anthem. The world's most famous Irish tenor, John McCormick, took the carol to number two on the national playlist in 1915. A decade later, the American Glee Club proved again that this was still America's favorite Christmas song. In a medium where very few Christian songs found universal favor, the song remained the most beloved holiday offering until Bing Crosby cut White Christmas. Of course, on that same album's release, Crosby also placed his own version of John Wade's song translated by Frederick Oakley. It was around the same time that Bing Crosby sang the song on his album in the early 1940s that English scholar Reverend Maurice Frost finally sifted through all the legends and uncovered the song's real writer. Discovering the original manuscript of the hymn written in Latin, finally granting John Francis Wade the credit he so richly deserved. In the past century, it has been recorded hundreds of times by some of the greatest entertainers in history. It is even one of the few traditional religious carols to land on the record charts, making it to the top ten three times. It has been translated into more than 150 languages used in thousands of cantatas and musical productions and called by some critics the greatest carol ever written. On this Sunday before Christmas, I want to consider this song and speak on the subject, O Come, All Ye Faithful. This great classical Christmas song introduces to us a very important concept about God. It begins with the stanza, the first verse, O come, all ye faithful, joyful, and triumphant. You see, Christmas is a holiday filled with invitations, invitations to gatherings and parties and meals and events. Some invitations we're excited about. Some invitations we're excited about. Others give us a sense of agony. It was a, several years ago, November 30th, I believe, that I received an invitation to go somewhere. It was with Bishop Norman Pasley II, and he invited Michael Cobb and I to attend a rodeo here in Cincinnati. It was at the, the great... Cincinnati Gardens. So we got all dressed up, as you're supposed to do for rodeos, and we put on our cowboy hats and our cowboy boots, and I think Bishop Pasley had his God dog jacket on with his cowboy hat. And so we pull into the Cincinnati Gardens, and the crowd is there. The cars are parked, and we're excited. I love rodeos and have for a long time, and so I'm excited about this invitation that I've received. And as we start to walk into the gardens, we, Michael Cobb and I look at each other and it seems odd. We're, there's a lot of people here walking into the garden, but none of them look like us. 
Not one cowboy hat, not one cowboy boot. Now, I know we're in the urban Cincinnati, so that's kind of how we, we're processing it. We're in Cincinnati. Maybe people don't dress up like they do in Texas or in the country for rodeos. So we walked in, and we handed them our ticket, to which they looked back at us kind of oddly. This is not the rodeo. You can see a picture of Bishop Pasley's expression on his face. And the next picture shows what we actually went to. It was a hockey game (laughs) at the Cincinnati Gardens. So it was the wrong time, wrong place. But the invitation was still meaningful. And uh, it was later. No, that was November 30th. It was January 11th. Show the picture from January 11th. We missed it by a few months, but we finally made it to the rodeo. But Christmas is really all about the invitation. And some invitations can let you down, some lift you up. An invitation was received by shepherds in Luke chapter 2, verse 10. The angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be the sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. What an invitation to receive. Of all the people who could have received that invitation, the shepherds were the ones who received the invitation to see the Christ the first time. And so, this first line of this song, O come, all ye faithful, joyful, and triumphant, it's an invitation for all of us to come and experience the wonder of who Christ is. A walk with God begins with an invitation. It began with an invitation that says, come, all you faithful, come, all you who are desperate for things in your life to change, come, everyone, everywhere, come, all. An invitation to relationship, Matthew chapter 11, verse 28, Jesus said, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest. For your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. O come, all ye. James chapter 4, verse 8 gives us this scenario in a little bit different way. James chapter 4, verse 8 says, Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. See, there's really no other way that we take advantage of the Christmas story than to draw near. To God. We must come to Him. Come to Him with our brokenness. Come to Him with our difficulty. Come to Him with our joys and our sorrow. There's no other way. God's not going to force His will on you. 
God says that we must come from our come to him from our own will. We then have a choice then whether we're going to respond to his invitation. And sometimes it feels like we're making the first step, but in reality you're not making the first step. The next line in the stanza shows us this, come Ye, O come ye to Bethlehem. You see, preparation had already been made. Christ was already coming to a place where you were then to come. He had already prepared a place for you to come. You see, the road to God takes us through Bethlehem. Bethlehem was where Rachel, the wife of Jacob, was buried. Jacob was called Israel. She is the bride of Israel. Rachel is is the picture of God's people. And so you come to Bethlehem. Ruth is redeemed in Bethlehem. And it, it really points us towards the idea of redemption. David was anointed the king in Bethlehem. And it's a place where David would come to rule. Bethlehem literally means the house of bread. Jesus would tell us when we pray to give us this day our daily bread. And so while it feels like sometimes when we turn our life towards God, we're the ones taking the step, we have to remember that God has already prepared a place for you. He's already taken a step to make a place for you to find sustenance and for you to find strength. What we realize is we come to sit among God's people. We don't come to this place, Bethlehem. We don't come to the church. We don't arrive here today just to observe each other. That would be a sad day. But we come, as the next line says, come and behold him, born the king of angels. We come to behold the Christ, the Christ who came from heaven to earth, the one who was born to take away the sins of the world. And so we come, we make a step, we respond to the invitation of God. We come to a place that he has prepared and we find Jesus Christ. And so verse 2 then says, sing choir of angels, sing an exaltation, sing all ye citizens of heaven above. Glory to God, all glory in the highest. Hebrews chapter 1 verse 5 says of the Christ, for to which of the angels did he ever say, you are my son, today I have begotten you. And again, I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. But then he again brings the firstborn into the world, and he says, Let all the angels of God worship him. And So while we make our way towards Bethlehem and we look low to see God incarnate, we must also look up and see the signs and wonders. We look up to see heaven rejoicing over the Christ. So we look to heaven as Jesus said, 
That it's, he said in Luke chapter 15, 10, likewise I say to you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. One person today who makes a trip to Bethlehem and bows their knee to God, heaven will rejoice. Heaven will rejoice today. Sing choirs of angels, sing in exultation, sing all ye citizens of heaven above. Glory to God, all glory in the highest. Why? Why do they sing? Because Christ has come. And when Christ has come, the world has a chance to be saved. So we realize that the angels rejoice. In verse number three, yea, Lord, we greet thee. Born this happy morning. We acknowledge the Savior. We acknowledge Him there in the manger. He's born, born for us, born to take away the sins of the world. And so we acknowledge Him today. Lord, we greet Thee, born this happy morning. Jesus, to Thee be glory given. We worship this king, this majestic one who came low so that we could rise to walk in newness of life. And then that last stanza, or that last line of this stanza, so powerful, word of the Father, now in flesh appearing. Word of the Father, now in flesh appearing. Appearing. John chapter 1 14, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. It was this logos, this thought or expression of God that became flesh. God became man. God became visible. The invisible God becomes visible. That's why Paul would write in Colossians 1.15, he, Jesus, Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things, and in him all things consist. He is God made visible. When Jesus showed up to the earth as a baby, it was God wrapped in flesh. And by becoming flesh, he became the mediator for us. He became the substitute for our sins. By becoming flesh, he took the penalty of our sins. That's why Paul would write in Romans 6, 23, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. Sin has a consequence. Sin has a cost to it, and it's death. 
every time. But Jesus came. God manifest in the flesh came in that fleshly body so he could be a substitute for our sins so that we would not find ourselves in eternal death, but we could find ourselves in eternal life. Jesus Christ being born was not insignificant. It changed everything. He was born to stand in the gap for us. He was born. It it, it would have been ideal and the disciples would have loved it had he just stayed around on the earth for the whole time. But he had a, a work to do. And so we realize he was born, but he was born to die. But he didn't just die. He was buried. And the Bible says that he rose again. And that you and I, that for you and I gives us hope. It gives us hope for an eternal life. And so if you've never heard this before, let me introduce you to the concept of obeying the gospel. It is the gospel is the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so our responsibility in obeying the gospel is just simply to repent of our sins. We turn away from our sins. We turn away from the the life that we were living and we walk towards God. We become dead to our trespasses and our sins. And we are buried with him, the Bible says, in baptism behind that wall is a baptistry. And if you've come today and you've never had your sins washed away in baptism, today is a great day for you to be baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And he says that we can receive his spirit. We can receive his spirit so we can walk in newness of life. He came on this earth so that you and I could be born, literally born again. The word of the Father, now in flesh appearing. That's not insignificant, that's powerful, that God would become the substitute for our sin. So that when you and I stand in front of God someday, we don't stand in our trespasses in our sins. We stand covered by the blood of Jesus. We are made righteous by the Father in flesh appearing. We are made righteous by a God who chose to take away the sins of the world. Oh, hallelujah. Hallelujah. And God did not just become visible, but let me tell somebody today, God became accessible. He was not just a mediator to to pay off the debt of sin. He was a mediator so he could reconcile us back to a relationship with him. He was not just a, a mediator to take away the sins of the world, but so that we could be reconciled and have a relationship with him. He was both visible and he was accessible. That's why the lowly shepherds were the first ones to be able to see him in that manger because he wanted to make a statement that day that I am accessible. I am available from the lowest to the highest, from the uneducated to the educated, from the shepherd to the magi. He is accessible. And he's accessible in this room today. He's here for you today. Paul would say he's not far from any one 
of us. And so, this morning, as we consider this great hymn, O come, all ye faithful, joyful and triumphant, come, ye, O come, ye to Bethlehem, come and behold him born, the king of angels. Sing, choirs of angels, sing in exultation, sing, all ye citizens of heaven above, glory to God in the highest, glory to God, all glory in the highest. Yea, Lord, we greet thee, born this happy morning, Jesus, to thee be glory given, word of the Father, now in flesh appearing, and that's why we simply sing, oh, come, let us adore him. Oh, come, let us adore him. Oh, come, let us adore him, Christ the Lord. Would you stand this morning? We've come to the Calvary Church this morning. We've come some to respect family, come some to maybe put their confidence in God one more time. Some come for different reasons, but we're all here today. We all have the same opportunity to respond to Christ the Lord. He's in this room today while he's in a different form. He's in this room today. The Bible says that when we receive the Spirit, we receive Christ in us, the hope of glory. Today, we all have an opportunity to come and bow our knee just as the shepherds did and to say, God, I need you in my life more than ever. You've never surrendered your life to Jesus Christ. Today is a, a great, great day to do that. And the best way to come to God that I know of is to simply give him praise and worship. To adore him. To put him in his rightful place as king of kings. And Lord of Lords, regardless of what you're going through in life, you'll never go wrong giving God praise. You'll never go wrong worshiping the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. In difficult days and days that are not real fun, you can still give him praise. And it's amazing that he's not far from any of us. This podcast was brought to you by the Calvary Church in Cincinnati, Ohio. For more information about the Calvary Church, please visit our website at www.thecalvarychurch.com. Consider joining us for a service where you will find friendly people, high-energy music, and life-transforming preaching and teaching from a biblical worldview. You can find our podcast on iTunes, Google Play, or on our website at www.thecalvarychurch.com. 
Until next time, thanks for listening.